Patrick here with some exciting news. We now have 10 local communities of engineering leaders hosting in-person meetups all over the world. Yes, you heard that right. There are 10 local communities in cities all over the world. These groups are led by engineering leaders just like you who wanted to create a place to connect, to share insights, and tackle critical challenges in the job. To get involved, go to elc.community. Sign up if you haven't already. If you have signed up, make sure you update your location and we'll get you plugged in. We're launching local events all the time. You can find them and get involved again at elc.community. There's several things we're looking into. One of them would be, we call it, is it core or is it context? Is it something that is core to our business and critical to our business? Or is it more of context is not really where we're gonna bring the value for our customers? And welcome to the Engineering Leadership Podcast, brought to you by ELC, the Engineering Leadership Community. I'm Jerry Lee, founder of ELC. And I'm Patrick Gallagher, and we're your hosts. Our show shares the most critical perspectives, habits, and examples of great software engineering leaders to help evolve leadership in the tech industry. One of the age-old questions in engineering leadership is, do I build or do I buy new technology to scale our business? This conversation features Mariana Tessel, CTO at Intuit, and Aileen Lee, founder and managing partner at Cowboy Ventures, who are here to help you navigate the build versus buy decision. As CTO, Mariana leads the global technology strategy and organization at Intuit. She's been at the forefront of significant tech transformations, including virtualization, cloud, and DevOps. Mariana previously served as executive VP of strategic development at Docker and as captain for computer center R&D in the Israeli army. At Cowboy Ventures, Aileen backs seed stage technology companies reimagining work and life through technology. She works with companies like Guild Education, Lightstep, Dollar Shave Club, and Telly. Aileen's also known for coining the term unicorn for public and private company evaluations. She's been named to the Forbes Midas list of best investors, Forbes Most Powerful Women, Time Magazine's 100 Most Influential People, and is co-founder of the nonprofit All Rays, aiming to accelerate success for women in the technology ecosystem. Aileen and Mariana share the frameworks that they use to make a buy decision, how they assess engineering talent during an acquisition, how to assess buying vendor software or building it yourself. Mariana even shares some of the spaces where they're looking to buy right now. Enjoy our conversation with Mariana Tessel and Aileen Lee. Welcome, Mariana and Aileen. Thank you both so much for joining us today. Hi, thanks. <laughs> Hi, Mariana. Hi, Aileen. How are you? Good. I'm super excited to talk with you. So we will just dive in. Is that cool? Let's do it. Okay, cool. So first, I think we got a great intro to you, but maybe you can we can just start out to remind folks on your role at Intuit, your CTO. And so how long have you been at Intuit and what does your role encompass? Yeah, so I've been here for uh, three years at Intuit. I actually started from managing engineering for the small business and self-employed group, and I've been a CTO for the last couple of years. In my role, I oversee all of the engineering activities. I am responsible for our technology strategy, as well as our, our IT functions, our security functions, et cetera. You know, at the end of the day, I'm responsible for strategy and make sure we deliver our products. And how many people are in your org? How many products do you oversee? I assume you oversee both kind of infrastructure and back-end stuff plus front-end stuff. Talk a little bit about what's in your org. 
Yeah, I oversee about 5,000 people. So like there's about 5,000 engineers across many sites. We have, you know, sites in the U.S., but also in, in India, in Israel, in Europe, in Brazil, in Australia. So quite a diverse team. Awesome. It's very impressive. And we will hopefully get to, I know we're going to talk about build versus buy, both in terms of company acquisitions and also just building internal technology versus buying from vendors. But I think your career has been so outstanding and so impressive and also very inspiring. So hopefully we'll get to talk about that a little bit too. Thank you so um, much, Aileen. You're kind of a badass. And Mariana and I have been friends for many years. We actually met, I can't remember how many years ago, maybe 10 years ago. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, when one of the portfolio companies that I worked with was looking for a VP of engineering and Mariana was a candidate, although like probably a lot more horsepower and a lot more technical than what we needed at the time. And But we have been friends ever since. So it's a pleasure to get to hang uh, out. I think that's the best thing that came out of it is that I met you, Amy, and it's been <laughs> amazing to know you. <laughs> so fun. All right, so let's talk a little bit about build versus buy. Maybe give us a little background on, you know, you've had this amazing career. First of all, you were in the Israeli special forces. Then you came here and you did kind of like, I guess, like, you know, B2B in the first boom of it before SAS at Ariba and intact. Then you moved to Docker over, like had an amazing career. Talk a little, give us a little context on how many acquisitions of companies, like technology-driven acquisitions, have you worked on in your career? And maybe how many build versus buy decisions have you made on both like acquisitions and or building new products internally instead of buying from a vendor? You know, it's interesting because in each one of these companies and throughout the years, there's always been this question of build versus buy, like in the M&A type of realm. What I've noticed is actually in the last, I would say, decade in particular, that really intensified. And, you know, I, I think it's kind of started, if I remember, there was companies like Google early on were going on like a big shopping spree of companies. And, and I think it kind of like became more and more of a, a thing. And, you know, that's kind of how I experienced that. So like early on, we would acquire a company, but it was kind of rare. But as the time moved on, it's, it's a really ongoing discussion for companies. And, you know, overall throughout my career, I participated and integrated and bought probably over 20 companies. So have quite an experience in that. And, you know, and I evaluated a lot more and sometimes you decide it's it's not a good fit or sometimes you try to bid on a company but somebody else kind of overbids you so but there's a lot of companies that i've integrated and bought and like i said it seems to be intensified in the last decade more than i've seen it before well i mean especially with public companies like intuit or any of the public tech companies with such incredible market caps and incredible currency it's like you know You've got a lot of resources to play with to think about being able to buy something. So maybe give us an example. Let's stay on the acquisitions, like company acquisition for technology purposes. Like, do you have frameworks that you use to like work with your teams on evaluating whether you should buy a company? Take us through maybe a recent example of how long it took, who was involved, and how you thought about the considerations. Yeah, Aileen, you know what? It's like an ongoing discussion that we have. We always look at companies that we should be, or like spaces we should be looking at. And I would divide it to three areas. The first one is, I would call it like in a business, more of a business acquisition. And this one we would say, oh, we're trying to get to this part of the market. We're trying to, you know, like go after these type of customers. 
and or we see a match on the business side. So there's there's like business acquisitions, you know, and we recently announced obviously the acquisition of Credit Karma, which we're still in the process of doing. So I won't be able to go deep into that one, but that would be an example of something like that. How long were you talking to Credit Karma or looking at Credit Karma before? You know, these things are always a process. It's always an ongoing discussion. And there's times you think about it, times you're like off. So with a lot of these, it's like a, it's a long process. The other type of acquisition is, would be what we call tech tuck-in. So we would say, we really need this capability, but it's going to take us a long time to build it. So we're just going to acquire it, you know, from the market. And, you know, one example that we have done recently would be, a company named Origami Logic, which actually was doing uh, very interesting things with data and AI in the space of marketing. And when you look at it, you would say marketing, you know, into it, like how does it relate to each other? And, and honestly, it did not relate from a point of view of we're not going at all after the same uh, customers. But what was true about them is that they developed capabilities in the area of data and AI that we really wanted. So we took their capabilities and we reapplied them to the areas that were relevant for, for us. And the third type of acquisition we're looking uh, at is what we call like acquihires. So acquihires, I never know if it's acquihires or acquihires. <laughs> uh, but, <laughs> but anyways, but this is more like where you look at bringing talent. And again, like more recently, we announced a, a, you know, a small acquisition of a company doing no-code development on mobile called Experial. And that's like a small team and we brought them in to be like part of our team because we were looking for talent in those particular areas. So, so again, just to repeat, there's like more of a business acquisitions where you're actually looking at the business, you want to maintain the customers, you want to maintain the business, yeah, you know they're related. There is uh, tech tuck-ins where you just like want to bring in the capabilities and then we look at talent augmentation or like bringing the, t the right talent. We're missing a DNA and we want to bring that DNA. So one of the questions in the chat was around assessing talent, right? Because probably underpinning at least the, the second two, it's primarily like, you know, what talent are we going to get? Like, what's the process for assessing whether the engineering talent is good enough and is really going to save you time or money or get, bring something new versus just hiring more inter engineers internally or building something internally? Yeah, and, and, and you know what? This a question of talent is actually important in all these three types of acquisitions because regardless, as we know, one of the most important things you'll get is the talent. So it's not just when you just bring the talent alone and you're saying, I don't care about the technology or the business. It's actually in all of three, it's important. And you know what, I, we view them as, obviously you always look at, especially if it's a small team, you always look at the founders and you look at the team that they surrounded themselves in. We conduct almost interviews and we call them A for A, assess for awesomeness. This is our regular interview path. Do them for, for the companies we bring in. And, and we look at resumes for teams we, for uh, team members within interview. But one of the most important things that I recommend people doing, and I insist we actually do for any size company we acquire, is we look at the code because the code says a lot about you know who you're acquiring and their craft. So that's a really great way to assess the craft of a team and their culture, because often their culture would be uh, apparent in the code itself. So mm -hmm. we do that, and of course we look for and other- is that like how many people are involved in the code review? And is, is there like a qualitative assessment or is there some kind of scoring mechanism to be able to say like, here's where the bar is and this the code either is above or below the bar? 
Yeah, you know, we have some metrics we're looking for. Like, we also look at what technology choices they made, how they actually, is the code clean or not? So there's some very concrete things we're, we're looking at, but we also have them walk through the code with us, see how they thought about it, see if they're, you know, point us to like the choices and it can explain them. So those are really good discussions. In terms of how many people participate, usually it's actually not that many people. So from our side, we will have somewhere between two to five engineers. And by the way, I want to emphasize engineers because in a lot of these assessments, we actually bring our engineers into the assessments as opposed to, like, again, people that may be more in leadership positions and slightly more removed from the code itself. And then on their side, again, we will have between two to five people normally. So it's not a big size team looking at the code. Patrick here with some exciting news. We now have 10 local communities of engineering leaders hosting in-person meetups all over the world. Yes, you heard that right. There are 10 local communities in cities all over the world. These groups are led by engineering leaders just like you who wanted to create a place to connect, to share insights, and tackle critical challenges in the job. To get involved, go to elc.community. Sign up if you haven't already. If you have signed up, make sure you update your location and we'll get you plugged in. We're launching local events all the time. You can find them and get involved again at elc.community. All right, let's switch quickly to, I know this, our session is so short. It's like, I have so much to ask you. Build versus buy in terms of like, there's a new product you want to build. There's a new service that you don't have where you could basically work with a vendor to buy software or you could build software internally. What's the framework that you use for build versus buy on like an, where you're not going to buy the company or either buying software from a vendor or you're building it yourself? Yeah, you know what? That's yet another interesting build versus buy because that's always the question. And there's so much off the shelf that is available today. Like, you know, we, we moved to the cloud and we often speak at AWS reInvent. So you know what cloud we're using. You know, there's so much that you can just kind of pick up off the shelf. Yeah, and open source. Totally. And it's so tempting and there's open source. And so that's, we constantly bring this question. And I would say there's like, again, there, there's no like one formula, but there's several things we're looking into. One of them would be, we call it, is it core or is it context? Is it something that is core to our business and critical to our business? Or is it more of context is not really where we're going to bring the value for our customers? Yeah, I'll give you an example. One of the products that we have and that is really popular is a way to get an expert advice. It's available with uh, TurboTax, where maybe you're in the middle of your taxes, you want to get an expert, you can get them in. It's called TT Live, TurboTax Live. And then we also have these offerings in QuickBooks, QuickBooks Live. So you can imagine that a lot of these conversations are actually going on through video. Having said that, you know, we don't need to be experts in video, right? We can use, and in fact, we use a third party to do the video connection itself. So we don't need to be an expert in that. But there's a lot of things surrounding that, that we would say, no, 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 that is core of what we're offering. And we will want to be the experts in, in that. So for example, we have a lot of AI that we deploy around it and transcript of these discussions, et cetera. So, you know, these are more like, you know, core versus context. And like you said, when it comes then to say, when if it's, if it's not uh, core to me and I don't want to build it and I deem it as something I want to get from a third party, then where do you get it from? And in there, you mentioned open source. And, and you know, like, like you said, I actually spent a lot of time at Docker. And I have to say, I completely drank the Kool-Aid of open source. So <laughs> no. I'm so big on open source. I really believe this is the best way to write software. 
I often tell the team, if all is equal and you have an open source component out there, just use that. You know, it just gives you, your team so much empowerment to be able to add to the code, be able to, you know, work with the code and really understand what you're buying. And you don't have this vendor lock-in. You, you really are a lot more empowered this way. And then if not, then if there's, you know, we're like on a particular cloud, so if there's software is available there on the cloud and is natively managed, so I would use that. And if not, if not equal, we will go to kind of maybe the specialized vendor. So just to wrap it is like, we look at it as an important technology for us that we want to own and develop mm -hmm. or something we want to use off the shelf. And then we look at open source, maybe vendors we already have relationship with and that works with other, in the context of other tools we have, and then last like vendors. So yep. th that's kind of what we're, how we evaluating these things. Let me push on that a little bit. Like, for example, like I could imagine chat, right? Like there's a thousand and one chat and AI driven chat companies where they're going to make their living on whether their AI is like, or their like usability or whatever their ability to partner with and Intuit to partner, let's say customer service chat is world-class, right? And that's gonna be one of like, you know, a thousand different things that you do. But I could see how you could be like, well, there's a lot of data. We don't wanna give our data to other people or like, you know, how would you, or like one of some of the people in the chat said something about like Uber deciding whether they were gonna build their own maps or buy maps. You know, it's like kind of core to the Uber service, but it's not exactly what they do. Like give us some more like specifics around how you decide, like how you define core and- yeah and how you parse that? Yeah, that's a really good question because something might appear not core, but it is really core. Like you said, in an example of maybe chats, you know, maybe the actual interaction is a small part and you don't need to own it, but maybe the big part is the data and being able to really use the data from the chat for insights to provide, you know, customer benefits, et cetera. So that would be something that we would, you would might on the surface, might seem as, oh, it's a context that we don't need to own it. But actually when you realize, no, I actually need the data from that. It's actually very, I want to use it in multiple ways that become actually becomes core. I'll just give you an example where we faced recently where, you know, on first blush, we were saying experimentation, you know, we can really use a third party tool and just like go with third party tool for experimentation. But what we found out that there was, wasn't something that was really a full package that we can use for experimentation, that was one. The second thing is a lot of what was the smart of the experimentation was the analysis of the data and deciding what actually experiments you will, you will push, what experiments win or not, and none of it was available off the shelf. And the third thing, we noticed that companies really tend to own it themselves. So we realized that there's competitive advantage there that we wanna own. So while we will use maybe components of that, we actually end up saying, no, we actually need to build our own experimentation framework and maybe we'll stitch a few things together that we can use off the shelf. So that would be an example where our first one we looked at that, we say, no, that's like not something we need to own. We're not an experimentation company, mm -hmm. but we ended up building a lot more around it. Got it. Awesome. Okay, before we move off on this, I guess maybe this is a great opportunity for you to share with the viewers or people who are going to watch later. Any areas where you've, you're looking to add tech technicians, competencies to Intuit? Like, what are you looking to buy instead of build? Yeah, well, that's a, that's a great question. 
And we, like I said, we always look around for great acquisitions. And first of all, if you are a, a small team of great talent and you found you working on something that doesn't go the way the way you wanted it to go and you look to be acquired as a group of talent, we love that because we found that bringing like great people is, is awesome, but bringing them as a group that already, already works well together and sending them on a project was really amazing. So I would say if you worked on a project and you know you're a talented group and that didn't quite pan out the way you wanted to, you know, come talk to us. <laughs> Another area we're uh, looking at is we're really investing in data and AI, and we have really done some very great advancements there. And one of the things I, I love about my work and everything we do is that we're very oriented about our customers' problems. In fact, our mission is to power prosperity around the world, and we're very, very focused around customer problems. So what we found is that we can apply AI for really the goodness of the customers and really help them with making sure they have more money, they have less work and a lot more confidence in everything they do. So that's like a great way to apply AI. So again, if you're working on AI and you have something interesting, come talk to us. And then the last thing is, you know, new frameworks today like mobile and, and other is an, another area we're interested in. So if you have some interesting innovation there, talk to us. And of course, anything you know in our in our products and everything that you do that you think is relevant, that might be more of a business integration or you know more of a tech tuck in. But we would love to talk to you as well. If you think you're relevant, we would love to have a conversation and you know join maybe forces to benefit our customers together. All right, I'm going to switch gears a little bit, and we are taking questions. Just add them into the chat, and I'm taking a look. So we'll do kind of questions real time. But while we're waiting for some more questions, I want to talk a little bit about your career. Right, because you have basically, you know, moved from being a VP of engineering to being a CTO and, you know, running teams that were still big, but like now you're running a very large team. Can you talk a bit, little bit about there might be people who are watching who are ICs or managers or directors or VPs, but like, you know, it's pretty rare to be running 5, 000, a team of 5,000 engineers. So I think it might be helpful for people to hear. As you, like when you think about the past decade of your career and you've advanced in managing more people and running bigger teams and bigger products, what hard and soft skills do you think that you have had to develop over time or that you've worked on that have, I think, that, that have helped you advance in your career that you would recommend people work on or think about? Yeah, I, I would, first of all, thanks, Elena, always for the good words. And, you know, and you're right, is that there's been a lot of that I had to develop over the the years as, as I moved from like step to step. But, you know, a few things that I can mention that I just find almost like, you know, it's always been true, but it has to be like on steroids now with like a, a large team is this idea of having a system, having a system in place to manage your time and manage the teams and have some sort of a theory of how you're actually gonna operate. So, you know, internally we will call it operating mechanisms or operating system, but actually be a lot more clear about and just clear about it and actually setting it in place. That's one thing that I would say I really had to 
put in place because like even before I could really kind of week by week, you know, things come in, <laughs> you kind of make time. But what I find is with a large team and with so many commitments, you know, because we, we would have, let's say board commitments or investor day or whatever, like you have to really think about the time and how you're allocating and how do you make sure you have time to make decisions, sit with the teams, you know, go deep, go broad. So I actually ended up developing uh, a technology operating system for our teams. And, you know, in our case, there's a bunch of things around it. It's actually, it's almost think about it as a life cycle throughout the year. But we actually have a day a week as a company that we dedicate to technology. We call it Tech Tuesdays. And in that day, we will have anywhere from operational review of metrics to really diving deep into particular areas of projects we're working on, looking at demos, looking at code. So that's one thing is like making sure you have a system of how you manage your time and how you actually allocate time to review code, but also make sure you're spending enough time on cultivating talent and, you know, it's just all of it kind of, you have to spell out. Are you always good at the developing talent and managing part? Like, you know, you've grown up with pretty technical, like when we, when you were at Docker, I remember us talking about how you love working on like meaty technical challenges and like really hard like building hard technology and that's one of the things you love but you know as you become a vp and a cto you're man spending a lot of time managing people right is that like always been easy for you or something you have you've worked on you know i i yeah see this is something i worked on and i also found that every company has slightly different culture so you almost have to adjust, you have to be the chameleon in that company. So you have to adjust your leadership style quite a bit. You know, one of the things that I've learned, for example, that, you know, early on I didn't do is like to be a lot more declarative and to be able to say, no, we're going to go and do this, period, as opposed to like decisions be made organically. But that's something that I found is actually consistent from company to company to company. This ability to decide. Sometimes teams really need. It doesn't mean that, you know, I decide everything, not at all. But I also noticed that I know how to arrive to a decision, be decisive and move on. And then there are other, play, there are other things that maybe serve me well in one company, but they're not quite appropriate in another. For example, when I was in an in infrastructure, you know, VMware and Docker, there was a lot more this idea of like, oh, you, the discussions often are super technical. But when you're like more in a consumer company, which I am now, there's a lot more focus on the customer and the customer problem. So just being able to toggle your conversation and what is important to focus on when you, let's say, on the exec table is, is something that I had to learn and adjust, you know, and, and I remember like this, this, what you mentioned, Eileen, of being technical is really important to me because one of my first lessons in leadership is that when I moved to being an engineer, to being a manager, I actually didn't know like what to really do. So I remember there was like this time where somebody brought a presentation to me about a topic and they were looking for advice. And I looked at the presentation and, and surely I had a lot of advice, but it went like this. You know, the font size needs to be bigger and you can use a color here and there are too many words on the page. And I was like, what am I doing? So I've learned like, I really need to find ways so I can really be a creative to the team to really understand what we're working on. So I'm not just at the periphery and just give advice that is just really not very useful. So, you know, that was one thing which I was like, oh, as somebody that's part of the team, of course I knew the code and it was easy, but as somebody that's kind of a little bit removed from maybe the coding, 
Like, how do I maintain that? And that's part of like, when I talked about this Tech Tuesday, that's part of my way of really making sure I'm involved in the code and I'm listening and paying attention. And I often look at the code and I will ask questions. It's super important to me that I don't stay removed from the team. That is something that I've learned. And every time I have like a bigger team, I have to relearn how to do that. That is so awesome. Unfortunately, I think we are out of time, but that was so much fun, Mariana. I hope we'll get to do it again because I think there were some, a bunch of questions. Thank you so much for submitting the questions and we're sorry we didn't get to all of them, but thanks so much for watching and listening. Thank you both so much for, for joining us. I think this is such a hard topic to get insight on as you become more elevated in your career as an engineering leader. Just being able to talk through your decision-making process and frameworks for navigating these is so valuable. Aileen, Mariana, thank you both so much. Thank you. We'd like to give a special thanks to Mesmer, the exclusive accessibility partner of the Engineering Leadership Podcast. Mesmer's AI bots automate mobile app accessibility testing to ensure your app is always accessible to everybody. To jumpstart your accessibility and inclusion initiative, visit mesmerhq.com forward slash ELC. You can also follow the link in our show notes. That's mesmerhq.com forward slash ELC. If you enjoyed the episode, make sure that you click subscribe if you're listening on Apple Podcasts or follow if you're listening on Spotify. And if you love the show, we also have a ton of other ways to stay involved with the engineering leadership community. To stay up to date and learn more about all of our upcoming events, our peer groups, and other programs that are going on, head to sfelc.com. That's sfelc.com. Or you can also follow the link in our show notes. See you next time on the Engineering Leadership Podcast.